Let me say another word of welcome to those who are worshiping with us by way of live streaming. Uh, we appreciate your worshiping with us through this medium and know that you're present with us physically when you can be or if you can be, but uh, you're very, still a very important part of the life and work of this congregation. Our next scripture lesson comes from Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 11, uh, the account of Jesus' 40 days in, in the wilderness. Let us listen for the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was serving a church in Vicksburg, Mississippi, there was an um, older member of our session, an elder who was getting ready to um, sell his home and move to another uh, part of the country where he could be in his latter years nearer to a daughter. And he was cleaning out his library, and he asked me if I wanted a particular volume. Well, he showed it to me. This is an old leather-bound volume. It's beautiful. And I said, yes, I want it. I don't care what's in it. I just like the, the binding of it. <laughs> But I do care what's in it. It's a fascinating book. It's called Night Scenes in the Bible. And it was written by a minister named Dan March, M-A-R-C-H, in 1868. And so I was intrigued by it because he goes through all of these different night scenes. What happens at night in the Bible? And I was so intrigued by it, I decided I was going to give it to a friend of mine as a gift. And so I looked it up on Amazon, I found I could find, buy a used one for $220, so my friend didn't get that book. Um, <laughs> but I also learned that there was a second volume, not in very good condition, but for $50 that was published uh, 10 years later. More night scenes. And this volume was called From Dusk to Dawn. Just Event after event that takes place at night. Well, I did suggestion to the staff, this may be a good thing to do during our Vesper services, evening worship service, look at night scenes. And we talked about that, but we decided instead, let's use this theme, night scenes in the Bible, during the season of Lent, because we were already talking about doing parables on Wednesday evening. And it's appropriate because really Lent is a journey from darkness to light. It's a journey through our struggles and temptings and tests all the way to the victory of Easter morning. So it's an appropriate thing to do, I think, to look at some of these night scenes and see what we can learn and discern from the experience of our ancestors in the faith. 
We read in Matthew, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was famished. One of the interesting things to do for we we preachers is when we're using a text, especially from Matthew or Luke, and we notice that it differs somehow from the Gospel of Mark, gets our attention because Mark was the first gospel. Matthew had access to the gospel of Mark as he was writing his own. So it's very interesting to see if there's a change in the text. And you start wondering, well, was this unintentional? Was this intentional? And is there a point that either Luke or Matthew is trying to make because they're telling the story somewhat differently? And so if you look at the temptation in Mark... You will see that Jesus wasn't just led into the wilderness. He was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. You also read something interesting, I found. uh, And I haven't found any commentary that deals with this. But it caught my attention that Matthew says that Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Mark just says 40 days. Why did Mark or why did Matthew add that expression and nights. Is there any significance to it? Was it just the logical assumption that if he was 40 days in the wilderness, he'd be 40 nights in the wilderness as well because he didn't come out of the wilderness at sunset and then return the next morning for more tempting and testing? Or is Matthew trying to say something, implying something more intentional and more serious. Could it be that Matthew realized the significance of this symbol, this image of night? It's a powerful image in the Bible. Um, Night is where evil lurks. Night is where Satan whispers and sounds like the wind blowing through the juniper bush. Night is the realm of those who are up to no good. John says those whose deeds are evil love the darkness. But beyond that, night is a condition or a context in which God seems absent, non-existent at worst, or strangely silent at best. St. John of the Cross, a 16th century Spanish mystic, gave us this wonderful phrase that we use all the time, the dark night of the soul we've all had or will have at some point in our lives, a dark night of the soul where God seems silent, even absent. I was privileged a few years ago to go and hear the wonderful writer Ailey Wiesel uh, when he was speaking in Charleston, and he wrote this haunting novel entitled Night. So even in contemporary literature, we know this image. We know what it suggests for Wiesel. It was an account of his experience in the death camp of Auschwitz where he was taken as a 15-year-old boy. And there in the death camp of Auschwitz, he began to question the existence of God, the power of God, the presence of God. How could you reconcile the God as he understood God to be with the human depravity he encountered there in Auschwitz? Did Matthew understand that? Did he want us to understand that this was a spiritual crisis for Jesus as well? The struggle in the wilderness with Satan. When he was being tempted to to take a path other than God, what God wanted him to take. To be or do something other than the path that his father had laid out 
before him. Does he add the 40 days and 40 nights just to connect Jesus with Moses? Which he does. He wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the new Moses. And there's so many parallels between Jesus and Moses and Jesus and the people of Israel. One of the most fascinating studies you can ever have is to look at how the New Testament recapitulates what takes place in the Old Testament. The experience of Jesus in the wilderness just uh, recapitulates the experience of the Hebrew children and of Moses in the wilderness as well. There's so many similarities. Moses is called out of Egypt. Jesus is called out of Egypt before he begins his ministry. Moses is to be the new redeemer of the people. Jesus is to be the redeemer. Moses is a lawgiver. Jesus is the lawgiver at Sinai. Moses has to pass through the waters of the Red Sea before he enters the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus has to pass through the waters of baptism in the Jordan before he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Irenaeus and other early church fathers recognize how often the New Testament recapitulates. It either reverses completely or it fulfills some experience in the Old Testament. I've been fascinated by this all my ministry and every time I notice something that I hadn't noticed before along these lines, I make a little note of it. I have a place in my Bible where I write it down. Just this past week, I wrote down something I'd never added before. So is that part of what's going on here in Matthew when he talks about 40 days and nights in the wilderness? Does Matthew know this biblical symbolism? Does he want us to understand what a trial it really was for Jesus that he went through the same kind of temptation and experience that all of God's people go through, yet without sin. He is confronted by Satan, challenged to be, to use his powers, which he could have in a way that served him, but he refused. It's there in the wilderness that he realizes what his mission is to be as the suffering servant Messiah. But this was a night experience in Jesus' life as well. Rare is the believer who has never had that dark night of the soul. I'm very confident that each of us here today has experienced such a time in your own life. Or if you haven't yet, you probably will. A time in your life because of what you're going through in which God seems distant, if not absent, altogether. Maybe your night is the loss suddenly, unexpectedly of a loved one. And your cries, why, into the night seem to go unanswered. Maybe your night is when you're an innocent victim of injustice or prejudice or discrimination and you wonder what to do about it, how to respond to it. Maybe your night is the rejection of a spouse or the collapse of your marriage, the betrayal of a friend, the loss of a job, the crashing of the financial markets, the fall of your own nation. Maybe your night began with the morning mail when you got the biopsy report or the result of the pregnancy test or the rejection letter from the college you wanted to attend. Maybe as we had a conversation this week, your night began when you were the unwitting victim of sexual harassment or abuse. 
and you wondered how to respond. What power did you have? What could you do about it? Maybe your night was something physical or something relational, something emotional, something spiritual. Maybe it was all of the above. But you know what I'm talking about. When you seem powerless and hopeless and speechless and friendless and maybe even godless. But lest we despair in the midst of our night scenes, let me quickly move to a related and similar image and symbol we find in the scripture that, always, that also appears in our passages for this, this day. And that is the image or the symbol of the wilderness. The wilderness. That too is a powerful biblical image. And it carries profound theological and existential insight. The wilderness, as you know, is a barren, desolate, dangerous landscape. No one wants to be in the wilderness. You don't willingly choose to go to the wilderness for the wilderness's sake. Unless you're in wilderness therapy. There is such a thing as wilderness therapy that people are facing various kind of behavioral uh, challenges. Sometimes they go on these extensive trips into the wilderness where they have to rely upon themselves to survive. Well, the wilderness terrain is exhausting. There's nothing there that can sustain your life. It's demanding to be there. The wilderness is a place you escape to to avoid some other greater threat. It's a place where you have no option. It's a last resort. The wilderness was where David fled when he was trying to avoid mad King Saul. It's the place that Elijah fled to hide from Jezebel and Ahab. It was into the wilderness at night that Abraham had a haunting experience at Beersheba, which we will look at next week. The wilderness is where the traveler was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jericho and he fell among thieves because thieves and robbers hung out in the wilderness trails between the places of Israel. I have walked that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I can tell you, even in the daylight, it's kind of a threatening and treacherous trail to take. You don't know what's around the next bend or what's behind, hiding behind a boulder you may come to. It would be terrifying to walk it by yourself. I was fortunately walking it with some minister friends. But I can't imagine being in on that wilderness trail going to Jericho at night. Because at night you can't see the threats, the peril. Oh, you can listen, you can hear. With the moonlight, perhaps you could see a little something. But at night you only primarily hear the sounds, the the screech of an owl, the shriek of a jackal. But you can't see. You can't see those poisonous serpents or scorpions that emerge from the cracks and crevices. You can't see who may be hiding behind a boulder. No one would choose to be in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness at night. And yet there is another side to wilderness in the Bible. The wilderness is the place where God humbles his people. It's where he disciplines them. It's where he draws into a closer relationship with them and prepares them for what is coming. The wilderness was a test for the Hebrews and for Moses. 
When Lisa read our passage this morning from Deuteronomy, you find the same thing in Exodus. The word test and testing is used over and over again. God was testing his people, preparing them for the life that they would need to live once they entered the land of Canaan. The problem was that the Hebrews failed the test. They couldn't trust God. They refused to. They didn't want to worship like God required, so they built their own golden calf. They wanted to worship like the other peoples around them. They didn't even appreciate the manna in the morning or the quails coming into camp in the evening. They got tired of the same old menu. And they longed to go back to slavery in Egypt. They missed the leeks and the onions and the stew pots of Israel. And they didn't trust God. They feared the Canaanites in the land more than they feared the God who had brought them to that point in their lives. Even Moses has his moments of doubt and disbelief, so he's not allowed to enter the land of promise himself. He can only view it from the mountains of Moab. Have you ever wondered why the people wandered for 40 years? Did they have that poor sense of direction? Did they not know where they were going? No. God kept them in the wilderness so that he could discipline them and prepare them for what was to come. They were tempted to leave God. And they did at points. And Jesus was tempted also in his wilderness experience. The difference is Jesus was faithful. Jesus stood up to the temptation and refused to take a path other than that which God had laid out before him. It was a test of God. It was a temptation by Satan. Do you know the difference in a temptation and a test? A temptation is intended to weaken and destroy you. A test is intended to strengthen you and build you up. This is the way James puts it in his epistle, chapter 1. Happy is the person who remains faithful under trials. Because when he succeeds in passing such a test, he will receive as his reward the life which God has promised to those who love him. If a person is tempted by such trials, he must not say, this temptation is from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But a person is tempted when he is drawn away and trapped by his own evil desires. Then his evil desire conceives and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So in conclusion, let me simply say that if you are going through some night scene right now in your own life, or if you are to be prepared for a night scene that is coming, I would recommend that you consider it perhaps a wilderness experience as well. That you keep in mind that this may be an event or an experience in your life that God will ultimately use to bless you and to bless others. If you ask most people in the church, when in their life did God seem closest? When did they have a stronger relationship with God? The likelihood they will not tell you about the days of wine and roses, of sun, sunshine and prosperity. They'll tell you about the dark nights they went through. When they had nowhere to turn except but God, to God. The divorce, the cancer, the loss of a loved one, all of those things that seem to have the power to distract our awareness of the presence and power of God. Just speaking personally, I can tell you, and I don't know when I first heard this, but I've thought about, about it 
nearly all of my life. But someone said one time that when you're going through your own difficult time, a night scene, if you will, there are two questions you might want to try asking. The first is, what is God teaching me in this? What am I learning from this? Because the wilderness is a great teacher. There's much that we can learn there if we're open to learning it. And the second question is, how can God use me in this? Because there's no test that we're going to go through, no temptation that is not also known by other people. And perhaps God is even preparing us for how we will be able to reach out to others going through the same trials that we know. So just think of your night scene as a wilderness experience and ask what God might be doing in your life and how might God be using you in your life. But be on guard because the wilderness, like the night, has the potential to build us up or tear us down. It depends on how we deal with it. There's a word of warning and hope spoken by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 where he says this, Whoever thinks he is standing firm had better be careful that he does not fall. Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. But God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it, and so provide you with a way out. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.